Looking for a home run ball. Gets it into Love. KU not fouling. Love fades, shoots. He misses. He misses. And Kansas will win. It's a banger for Kansas basketball. Your Jayhawks are national champions. Ochaya Baji comes running over to give us a hug. Love you, brother. Your Jayhawks have just hung a sixth banner at the University of Kansas. The final score, Kansas 72, North Carolina 69. You can rock, chalk it up. The Jayhawks win a sixth national championship. Well, how about that? And that, that clip didn't show it. Um, another cool thing that happened at the end of that game. Yeah. Ochak Baji comes running up. That, yeah, that's all over. I'm sure Brian Haney has, has uh, retweeted it by now or, or played it by now. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fantastic. He runs right over and, and hugs him. It, what a night. What a night. Um, didn't start so hot. Well, actually, it started very well yeah. for KU. It looked like it was going to be Villanova all over again. It did. And then North Carolina went on their big run. Kansas overcomes a 15-point deficit at halftime. The largest comeback in NCAA title history at halftime. They're down 16 at one point in the first half. 15 is is the halftime score of where that record comes from. The previous record was 10. Um, so it's not just that like they barely beat it. I mean, that's what that's an extra 50 percent. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The previous 98. The previous record, uh, I think, for biggest championship game comeback overall was 18. But that wasn't a halftime deficit. That yeah. was an early. It was a, half, a first half deficit. Well, I'll tell you this. When KU wins the title, boy, did they do it big. I, I tweeted this out earlier, but it's like, uh, you know, the most interesting man. I, I think that commercial is long and gone. So if you're of a certain age, you probably have yeah, no idea Dosecchi's what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, where he was, you know, I don't always drink beer, but when I do, I prefer blah, blah, blah. Right. That's like Kansas with titles. It's like, I don't always win the title, but when, but when I, I, do, I do, it is going to be amazing. You, yeah, I make you feel like you're going to die. Yeah, that die. too. I'm going to give you a heart attack doing it. Um, Because uh, I guess 1952 is the one, in, and I'm not talking about the Helms title. 80, 80 to 63. Yeah, 1952. That was, that was a stretch. Yeah, you, they got a big win there. Yeah, I made the comparison. That's like you, you have a room full of four children, and three of them are just running around, hitting their head against the wall, screaming, and the one child is just sitting there like Calm. perfectly. That's the 1952 yeah. title. The how other about, three. How about... Last night, this occurred to me watching the highlights, um, and we both, and we won't get into it now, we're saving this story for the next segment because it involves our daily poll, um, but I, I watched um, highlight. I was watching highlights last night, um, and they, it occurred to me, something that I didn't think about in, in real time because I was just so angry, um, but looking back with perspective, knowing that Kansas had won... Uh, what occurred to me was that the Jayhawks in um, the Jayhawks scored 25 points in the first half last night. In 1988, Danny and the Miracles, the, the halftime score was 50 to 50. <laughs> so the the 88 team, both teams, they ran with a team who loved yeah, to run. Yeah. Both teams doubled up what K in the first half in '88. What KU put up last night um, in the first half. KU scored 33 in the first half against Memphis, but they, they came away with the lead. Kansas was leading, I think, 33-28 over Memphis in 2008. Um, and so it was just, I don't know, it was just absolutely amazing. Um, and 
I, I just, I don't know. I, I can't, I, I, I don't even know a better word for it. I just, I can't, I still, right now, I can't really believe it. I was up till 6.30 watching highlights. I just, I cannot believe that, like, if you would have told me yesterday Kansas wins a close one, I'd be like, great, right. awesome. But the manner in which they won that, I... Well, it was a four-point spread, and I think what we both said is we both took Carolina with the points. We said we think it's going to be a coin flip game. So you take the points, you think it's a close game, and certainly Carolina barely covered, which, by the way, if you bet on that game and you had, like, no rooting interest outside of that, you were probably freaking out down the stretch there because, like, if you had Kansas and they're up three. And, and the had, DeJuan yeah, hairs out of bounds. You're so mad in that situation. Not that we care because, you know, Kansas won the title and, and that's what matters. But uh, Kansas, like we said, they, they got up. Early, I think seven nothing to start, and it was kind of feeling like, oh, is this going to be the start of the Villanova game? Ochai hits the immediate three from the same spot, exactly. And then um, Kansas just hit a, a spell where they couldn't get a rebound and they couldn't make they couldn't a layup. Get a layup. And, and look, some of the I'll say this now. Look, you need to make they went basically over. You need to make more of those shots than Kansas did, and you probably should make more of them than you miss, but. To make it, to be clear, and I think everybody, and I know you know this, Derek, and I think everybody listening knows this, who watched the game, it was it was different than like a, a breakaway fast break or, mm-hmm. you know, like a breakaway steal and layup. Like they were contested layups and, and Bangkok wasn't 100%, but he was clearly um, forcing Kansas to readjust in their shots and clearly affecting some of those shots. So, you know, I'm, I'm fine. You know, you don't have to go 100% on them. They're not like... They're not just clear like when you're shooting layups pregame, yeah. but you don't need to. You don't. You shouldn't miss all of them. No, and they you were shouldn't. missing all of them. Yeah, and and I thought that like don't get me wrong. Again, Carolina, you give them credit for the way they attacked the glass and the way that they defended KU and Brady Manick all of a sudden became like a rim protector inside. Those are all things you give them credit. But it's for. one thing to get just out rebounded a little bit. They got owned. yes. I I thought that first half was honestly less of. North Carolina is just this unbelievable machine. I thought it was more of just Kansas just happened to pick a game where they played one of their worst halves of the season. And and it's a terrible time for that well, to happen. And it was it was a there was an effort thing like after after Dave, Dave got that amazing uh ball where they uh, he and I think it was Bancott um but he and some and another Carolina player got right on the floor, dove after the ball. Dave mm-hmm. got it. Uh, you thought maybe a jump ball for a second, but then he regained possession and he kicked it out to, I think, Ochai or somebody. But after that, it was, I mean, if North Carolina beats you, they beat you. But but early on, it was like, and it wasn't a lack of effort. I think it was just timidity. They were, they weren't going after anything. Yeah. They weren't, like, they weren't, it, it was, it was such an, you know, it was such a non-aggressive team by Kansas. Yeah. And, and you know, and Carolina played great, but it was, yeah, it was a combination of Kansas not being particularly aggressive. Yeah, I'll uh, we'll have some fun stories to share about our game watching experience coming up in in the next segment, and that's going to lead to our daily poll. But uh, KU, it, it looked bleak there. They were down fifteen at halftime. It, it did not look great in the first half, but man, they figured it out. Um, like I said, when they win the title, they do it big. Eighty eight, you are six seed. Oh eight, you come back from nine with two minutes left. And now this, the 15-point deficit. How, how about this quote from um, Bill Self um, on his message at, at halftime to the team? He he kind of brought that up, the idea of, you know, what's what's harder, the 08 one or, or this one? There wasn't much inspiration. Uh, I did tell him before the uh, 
the half was over, I said, which would be harder, being down nine with two minutes left or being down 15 with 20? And they all said being down nine with two minutes left. I said, so this, we can do this and, and uh, because that's the way it was in 08. So, uh, and, you know, we, we, we got, what we get, three or four stops in a row to start the half and 15 went to nine like that and it was anybody's game. So uh, uh, it was pretty special how, how one triggered that uh, start the second half. How about this? If you score, I mean, you want to say what you want to give a reason why it's easy. If you outscore a team by nine every two minutes in a half, you're going to win by 90. <laughs> but yeah, it sounds easier than it is. Like, that's the thing. You could say if we just outscore you by two every three minutes, yeah. we're going to win by 27 <laughs> or 26 or something. Yeah. Right. But it's a, it's a lot harder than than uh, it is. How about this one, though? Because this is my favorite part of all this. David McCormick was obviously nails last night. We'll talk more about that here in a second. Um, at halftime, Kansas is down 15. And David McCormick's just sitting in the locker room just smiling like, eh, we're fine. Hey, hey. This is what Christian Brown had to say about uh, this whole encounter. And he was looking at me, and I'm like, why are you smiling, dude? Like, we're down 15. And he's telling me, like, man, like, keep your head up. Like, keep going. We'll be all right. We've been here before. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I've ever been here before. You know? <laughs> Now 15 in the national championship game, I've definitely never been there. So, man, uh, but we're just proud of him. And, you know, he you know, he kept us going and then obviously uh, hit a really big shot. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of uh, when, the, when the Royals were down big to the Astros in what would have been game four in 2015. And had the Astros gone on to win that game, they would have won the series three to one. And the Royals ultimately came back, made it two to two, and then finished off the Astros at Kauffman the, the following game. Um, the player that kind of, I guess, gave a huge, like, we're not going out this way pep talk was uh, Mike Moustakis. And that, of course, you know, there's no halftime in baseball. But um, it's interesting to me because Moustakis had a great year in 15, but was a very maligned Royals player because he struggled for a Now, this was a full year, not just a career, you know, a long career. But, um, you know, he struggled a lot and was a very maligned and and controversial player that a lot of Royals fans thought was a bust. And so it was interesting that that you know uh, that's just that's kind of what I thought back to is it was the player that a lot of fans you know really got frustrated with, but then showed some incredible moments. And he was the guy that all along kept the, kept the faith. Yeah, he did. And uh, second half things started to turn. I. I don't know. Was there a moment for you when you felt like things had had turned to KU's favor? Whether it was thinking that not necessarily that they'd win, but that hey, they're they're they really are in this to the very end, or maybe that you know they were going to win. To get back, um, let's see. They made it what four? What what was the first one point? Forty eight, forty seven. Because I think it was forty six, forty one, then forty six, forty three. I don't I think, remember if it was 46-45 or first before 48-47, but yeah. It was whenever whenever they got it to one, and then uh, that that was it for me. Down one, I'm like, okay, this is – because there's something about – I guess I thought back to the VCU game because Kansas got within four or five in the second half of VCU, and then they were just spent, and VCU wound up winning by ten. But to get back within a point – um, that to me was well because it's like big. even if you give up a two to Carolina, you still, still have it's, right it's, exactly it's one still possession. A possession game, still a one shot game. Uh, I think it was then when Kansas on the Christian Brown layup got to within a point. Uh, in North Carolina called a timeout. Um, they shot a 
uh, they showed a shot of the crowd, uh, and, and shout out to our guy Ray Bouchard. I saw him. Um, yeah, a bunch of coaches there. Bouchard was there. Lance Leipold yeah. was there. A um, bunch of former KU players. Yeah. So shout out to shout out to all those guys. And I, I I saw Ray, and I was like, all right, Coach B, get it, man. Um, and he just kind of had this stoic, you know, very coach's way. You know, he wasn't going nuts. He just had this stoic, let's get it done kind of attitude as, as bill self kind of did um and so yeah that was down down one i think christian brown layup to make it 48 47 when i was like was when i thought okay this could happen yeah i uh so christian brown comes out like a man possessed to start the second half and uh they get it down to nine but then carolina balloons it back to 12 and it stays there for a few possessions so it's like okay i don't, I don't know what's gonna happen here but then ku gets it down to 10 Jalen Wilson gets a transition play and Brady Manick is in the restricted area tries to take a charge which if he was out of the restricted area I feel I I don't know if it should have been or not but I feel like knowing college refs they probably just would have called it but he's in the restricted area so it gets the end one when he hit that that was the play to me where I was like, okay, they're they're in this. I don't know if they're going to win, but they're going to make a game of this late. And refresh my memory because Kansas missed a million. Did, did yeah. Jalen make that? Free he made throw? the free throw. So that got it to seven. Yes, after that because it went to a, I think under sixteen, and then he came back, hit the free throw, it made it seven. Um, the play where honestly, like, I thought they were going to win the game when it was. I so think we have the same play. Yes, yeah, it, it was. Well, it was really a series of plays for me. Um, it was 50-47. to 47. Caroline was up. Yep. Ochai goes down, squeezes by uh, Puff Johnson, who had, like, the game of his life. He was getting ready to live in, you know, uh, whoever else, like Jerry McNamara and, um, I don't know, Deron Lamb, like, infamy of the guy who's not, like, the star not player. Not the MOP, who just, like, but had an off, incredible right? performance. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, uh, he squeezed by him, gets the end one. Ochai makes the free throw, which he had been struggling at before he made that one. That ties it. And then... Maybe the most fun, like, I don't know how long it lasted, 10-second, 20-second spurt of Kansas basketball I've ever watched in my life. And maybe the most fun 10 to 20 seconds of sports, you know, you put in the the 13 seconds with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs there. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. like, it, it, up there with anything of just, like, a short spurt of a sporting event that I've ever seen where Kansas— um, hits a three, Remy Martin in the corner to put yep. him up three, and then they get a steal by Dewan Harris, immediately go down. Jalen gets another and one. You're up six. I thought they were going to win at that point. That was me, yeah. I, Carolina I, crawled back, though, and then yep. you're starting to doubt yourself again, right? Yeah, and, and but yeah, I, I agree. I, I started feeling, at, at, after the and one and, and up six, I started thinking this could be... Like this could be winning. This could be like the Miami game, and it was in some senses because you came out, you know, crazy in the second half. But I thought it could be like the Miami game in the sense that you're basically celebrating this thing at the under eight timeout. Yeah, I kind of was thinking that too. But yeah, again, give credit to North Carolina. They they battled back from there. Uh, but David McCormick just too much in the very end, and, and Dave took over in that game. And I, I don't think this gets talked about enough. You brought this up to me last night after the game. We were kind of talking. You asked me, like, how many shots do you think Armando Baycott made? And he ended up going 3 of 13 yeah. from the field, which he still lived at the free throw line. He still dominated on the glass, and, and those things did happen. But the fact that it wasn't just the offense, he goes for, you know, 15 and 10 in the game. Uh, but holding a guy who, yes, he, he was dealing with an injury, um, but still played unbelievable regardless uh pretty impressive stuff from Dave and you know in the same way that you could say Kansas doesn't make it past the second round or the sweet 16 without Remy Kansas doesn't win the title without David McCormick 100 percent which is 
again, like the ride that we have been on from 40, 40, for both Remy and Dave. What do you get in, in what, what do you get 12? Unbelievable. 12 last night uh, rebounds. Or Dave, 10. 10. 10. Mm-hmm. So 40 and 19 for the final four. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, basically a 2010 average for Dave yeah. in the two games. Um, which, you know, should that have or won four, yeah, final four, four yeah, MOP? 40 and 19, yeah. Well, I you mean, know, yeah, it, it's... That was a big conversation. Um, it's up, yeah, I, I, I think yes, but again, I, I, yeah. I don't think it was the travesty that some people seem to, to believe, but I, I would have given it to Dave. Yeah, and Ochai in the presser, which he's like the most humble guy there is, we actually have this audio, um, mentions that he actually thought Dave should have won it, and he cares more about the title, which it's just classic Ochai, he's a very down-to-earth humble guy. Here's what Ochai had to say. I wouldn't say, you know, winning the, winning the most outstanding player of this, uh, I don't really care because we won the national championship. Um, but if I really had a most outstanding player throughout the whole entire, you know, Final Four, it would be David. Um, he's been my guy. We got here, we got here, you know, at the same time. And, um, you know, these goals and these dreams, you know, that we're living right now, we never would have thought of, you know, uh, when we first set foot on campus. But now living it and, you know, living it with him and, and uh, you know, leaving here with with uh, with history and history in our name, it just means so much to to the both of us, and obviously Mitch and all the guys. Yeah. So so Ochai uh, was dominant in the final four. It's final four MOP, so it's it's both games. So the the first game does matter. But Dave was also great in the first game with Ochai. I I understood why he was final four MOP. I thought Ochai was deserving. I would have voted Dave over him. Yeah. But I still thought Ochai was obviously very deserving there. He averaged sixteen and a half in the two games. Um, he also, I thought he played great defense both games in the final four, that big block that he had, um, at one point, I think, uh, on, it might've been RJ Davis or, uh, Caleb Love, something like that. Um, and, and I also think it does matter. Like if, if we take a look into the voting process, which this is ridiculous to me, we still operate under like when they do these voting and I wasn't at the final four, so I don't know. It might've been conducted differently, but whenever I've been at like one of these events, big 12 tournament, whatever, they pass out these like pieces of paper and you write like, who is your MOP? If this team wins, who is your MOP? If this team wins, you got to get, get them write in those early. Down. Yes. You get, they, they pass them out at like the under eight, something yeah. like that. And that you was have to at, turn them in at like the under four at the big 12 tournament, which I didn't vote on anything for the big 12 tournament because I only was there for the KU games. So I didn't feel like I knew enough to actually place a, a vote for MOP or for, for uh, all, all tournament team or whatever. But I know there it was all digital. Yeah. You, you, you got a link on an email, but you still you still open, to submit they, them, though. And they open the voting around the under eight. Timeout. Exactly. So which is was, stupid to me. If it's digital, just have it done right when the game ends and submit like a multiple choice ballot. It's yeah. that easy. It's digital. It sends right to your phone and then you don't have to, you know, you, you have it that easy. Um, and if that would have happened, Dave would have won the award. He would have because he yeah, the two biggest plays yes. late. And at the under four timeout, he's sitting on 11 points, nine rebounds. So you're not looking at that. Like, again, that's a solid game, but you're looking at it at the under four timeout. You're going, he has 11 points, nine rebounds. Ochai is 12. I'll give the tie to the player who's the best player on the best team in Ochai. And on top of that, you're looking at it and saying, yeah, Dave's been good, but also North Carolina ended up that game plus 20 on the glass. Like, yes, Dave was great in so many ways, but... And it's not all his fault that they ended up plus 20 on the glass. Like, you needed more from other guys on, on, on the glass. But he's the center. Like, he's supposed yeah. to be the focal point of getting some of those rebounds. And um, the big tip-back play, although this would have been after the the four, uh, by Brady Manick to give them the lead late, Dave was the guy who was supposed to be boxing him out. So I could see a world why you would vote for Ochai in, under those 
circumstances. But again, if this would have been voted on once the clock hit zero, there's no way Dave would not have won that award because he had 15 and 10. He hits the two biggest shots of the game for you. He gets the big offensive rebound. He was nails down the stretch. You don't win a title without David McCormick. And I don't know if he'll get his jersey retired. We'll talk about that more through the offseason here because if he does win Final Four MOP, that's what stinks. Ochai was getting his jersey up there regardless. Dave, if he got it, he would have his jersey up there. Now he's probably not going to. But I wonder if they'll make an exception because I wonder if Bill Self will see it as, no, he should have won that award. Yeah. And we'll just about give giving it to him, him right? Yeah. So I, I don't know what that means or uh, what that does, but that'll be interesting. Certainly a phenomenal game from Dave. You don't win it without him. You don't win it without Remy Martin. Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson were great in the second half after struggling in the first half. And Kansas is your 2022 national champions. Fourth time that Kansas has won the national title. Sixth, if you include the Helms titles. Uh, we're going to talk with Matt Tate in about 15 minutes at 4 o'clock. Jayhawk Radio Network is going to take over with the team coming to Memorial Stadium around 4.15. And then in the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to talk to Kevin Flaherty. He's Adam Dravat. I'm Derek Johnson. Daily Poll coming up next. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About half past the hour, Matt Tate's going to join us in about 10 minutes here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Yeah, like I was just talking about, um, Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson, and Remy all struggled in the first half. They really did, and that was a big part of why KU was down by so much. And Remy was forcing it a little bit. He did bank in the 1-3. Christian and Jalen were struggling with the layups. And then in the second half, those guys were just completely different. Jalen was the good Jalen that we we saw. He hit those big end ones. Um, Christian, 12 rebounds. He was dominant in transition, and he really got you going. And Remy hit some of the, I mean, outside of the Dave little hook shots at the end, Remy hit the biggest shots of the game. Um, and then also, Dewan Harris, fantastic pressuring the ball in the second half. He's always good for, like, one crazy layup every game, and he did that in the second half as well. So, uh Big time from those four guys stepping up in the second half. And, you know, it, it really is a team effort. It's easy to say Kansas does or doesn't win without this or that guy, but it really is a uh, total team effort. So our daily poll today is going to surround on uh, me and Adam's watching experience. It's it's going to be at RCST 1320. Did you change something up in the second half? And the options are location, clothes, other no change. I'd imagine for some they change multiple things. So uh, would you like to share your yeah. watching story first? So Derek and I were at a local establishment, um, and same local establishment where we watched Nova. And I'm, we're sitting there, and I'm like, okay, up seven, nothing. This is great. Let's do it. Um, and then, of course, we all know what happened. And before halftime even came, I um, had to. I, I I was I I stood up. I put on my jacket. Derek was like, "You leaving?" I'm like, "Let me." I think it was 12 or 13 and a half at that point was the deficit for Kansas. And um, I I said, oh, give me give me a minute. And then they got to 15, and I was like, all right, this is it. I'm done. Or maybe that was even 16 at that point. I was like, this is it. I'm out of here. So I leave, um, and then I don't even listen to the end of the half. I don't listen to um, the game. I, I Nothing. 
I plug in my iPhone. Or I, I listen to some music to help calm me down. Then I put it on shuffle. And you know what? On the drive home, I, I start driving home because I didn't know where else to go. I was like, well, I'm going to go home anyway tonight. So I'll just start going home. And if I get home, I, it, it, it did cross my mind. I was like, if, if I get home and Kansas turns out to win this thing, whatever. I'll waste the gas and drive back to Mass Street and I'll be happy anyway. I don't care. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm on the road home, kind of, I think between Eudora and Gardner where I live and I'll be damned if on my shuffle dream on by Aerosmith doesn't come on, Ah. which is something they kind of play a lot during a lot of those videos at at Allen Fieldhouse, uh, especially on at late night. And I'm like, interesting. Okay. All right. Um, and I get home. Uh, and I'm kind of doing, you know, I, I, I know a, a few people, I'm sure I'm, I'm not alone here. Um, I know a few people who were big KU fans who are, uh, no longer, uh, inhabiting this earth. Um, so I'm kind of like, Hey guys, if you're out there and you want to help us out, that'd be awesome. Um, I walk into my house and I look at the TV and it's 46, 41 and I'm like, Oh, whoa, 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 no way. And I didn't say a word. I just stood there for a little bit. I saw Dave with the hook shot make it 46-43. Then I was like, okay, let me. And my, my dog was bothering me, so I kept petting the dog. And I'm just, I, I decided I'll sit down. And I just stayed in the same spot on that couch for the rest of the game. And it just went insane. So that that's a good one. Here's mine. Um, I So a little prelude to this. I had this in the back of my head. Because as you mentioned, we went to the same spot for the final four game as we did the title game. And in the back of my head, I didn't say anything because I didn't want to, you know, say it out loud, whatever. Um, I had I had watched every game at a different place to that point. And I don't, you know, it, this is stupid, like, fan jinxing stuff, right? But it, How it's much one of those matter? things Probably where when, when the game's not happening, you don't believe in it. Yeah, when your but emotions, when it is, you're like, oh, when your emotions are going, right? it is. So I was thinking that back in my head. So they get down. Um, and, you know, they get down 15 and a half. Ochai hits the, the shot to make it 13. I'm like, okay. They got a little more momentum before half. Then Carolina gets the tip in after the missed shot, and I'm like, uh-oh, this isn't good. Do I need to change this up? So I go up to my wife, and I say, hey, because we're there with, with some friends, so I don't want to make this sound like I just like left her or something. Um, so I go up <laughs> to her, and I say, hey, I'm thinking about going to watch the rest of the game at home. Do you want to come with me? Do you want me to stay here? If you want me to stay, I have no problem staying. And she goes... No, I want you to do what you think is going to make the biggest difference in this game. And she says, but I need to stay here. I have a feeling something special is going to happen. (laughs) So my wife gets the brownie points here. Um, So I go home, and I'm like, okay, I need to change something up. I changed the shirt. I'm watching now on a different TV than I've watched any of the other games. Um, And they start to come back. And then eventually, obviously, till the very end, they're up 72-69. North Carolina misses the the barrage of threes. I think they had two or three different attempts from three, and then Brady Manick throws it away. It's kind of like a combo of the uh, the Arizona Elite Eight game from 03 and the uh, mixed with Tyshawn Taylor throwing it away to Elijah Ohio Johnson State, and Ohio State, right? Yeah, in the Final Four. So I'm like, they they got this. All they got to do is get the inbound in. They were, run, they were throw, already fine, storming the court right? at yeah. Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah. Apparently, in the, in the timeout, Remy Martin was like, talking to fans outside of the huddle, uh. and Bill Self had to grab his jersey and say, get your butt over here, probably with more choice words. But um, so so I'm like, oh, my gosh, they got this. So my wife calls me. She's like, you got to get down here right now. And I'm like, I, I got it. So I get in the car, take off, exit the garage, 
get down the street. I have the radio on. I'm like, this is great. I'm going to be able to hear the last hear call Haney, on the radio yeah. as well. Get down the street. Dewan Harris is out of bounds. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just left the house <laughs> and immediately something bad happened. So I'm like, I, okay, whatever. So I immediately hit the brakes, turn around, get into the garage, run inside, take off my shoes, get back to watching on the TV, watch the rest of the game. They win. And then I head back out, go see my wife. We go down to mass, have a good time. Did um, you, did you- so I don't know. You're welcome. You're welcome. I was the guy who left. I, I was like the Bud Light commercial. I went down to grab a beer for someone. Something good happened. Yeah. And I stayed away. Oh, well, I kept thinking about the guy who took the video of himself uh, leaving Arrowhead when the Chiefs were down 24 nothing to, to the Texans. <laughs> he was like, it's the only thing I got to well, go. Think, I think that has here. to be proof that I tried to come back yeah. and then something bad happened, so I left again. Um, so you're welcome for that. Um, let me ask you I had you to this. change it up. I had to change it up. Because we went with that for the Daily Poll since we mm-hmm. both had – similar stories with that but let me ask you this because i wondered this for a daily poll did you think that shot was going that love's shot was going in at the end that looked good from, from i didn't think it did well i, I, I was didn't probably think made it i was going and i was just there was a piece it. of me that was wondering before he shot it i was like oh no is this going to be the inverse of what kansas yeah. did to memphis but when i saw I, I don't know there's something and it was in the air and it was like i was like I think this shot's going to go in, and it's been in the air since I was eight years old. It honestly reminded me a little of the, uh, you know, the 08 Davidson three. You oh, know, yeah, was, Richards, yeah. Like, it it was scary because of what it would have done if yeah, you made yeah, it, yeah. but I just didn't really see it going in. It looked like it was good defense there. And again, Christian Brown making a play there, defending on Caleb Love. All right, uh, Matt Tate is going to join us of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Coming up on the other side with Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. KU, your national champions in 2022, first title in 14 years. We're joined now by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Um, it was, you know, you compare it to the 2008 season, and and it's actually kind of funny because this team actually was seeded higher than the 2008 team. This team was the third overall number one seed. That team was the, the fourth overall number one seed. But you compare the seasons, the 08 team it always felt like they were one of the best teams in the country. It wouldn't have surprised you at any point in that season if they were cutting down nets, if that team won the title. They had so many pros on the team, and this team will have a couple pros on it as well. Um, but there were definitely points this season where if you were to say what just happened last night, you maybe would look at somebody a little bit funny. You look back to maybe if you ask somebody at the end of the first half of the Kansas State game or after the Kentucky blowout or after the Dayton game, which, you know, you lose to a team that didn't make the NCAA tournament. Um, but then you had all these highs through the season, whether it was Baylor, the blowout there, or the Big 12 tournament. Uh, Matt, was there a point this year when you thought KU could win a title? Uh, prior to the postseason part of things? And and was there a time when maybe you would have thought this would be more of a pipe dream for Kansas? Uh, I, I thought so going into the year, to be honest with you. But but I'm not trying to say that, you know, I saw this coming or knew it was going to happen. I, I thought um, I thought guys like Zach Clements and K.J. Adams and, and, and those types of players were going to have a, a much bigger role and be – uh, contributors to uh, depth that was that was hard to beat and and those types of things. Um, so so you know that that was sort of I, I I really thought this was one of the better 
teams on paper that we had seen in a long time. I thought, you know, Yosefu, same thing. I thought he was going to be a, a guy that came in and had a, had a major impact, potentially anyway. Um, and, then, and then it really didn't pan out that way at all. I mean, they all had their moments. Um, and, and, and a game here, or a half there, or whatever it was. But, um, but for the most part, this was a team that was, you know, seven deep. And uh, Self said throughout this, this run that, that he had seven starters. And, and you know, you, you, you kind of uh, understand what he means by that because every one of those seven guys had such an important role and they all played their roles perfectly and and that's what led them to last night obviously so um you know beyond that though once once the season started going and and uh you know they 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 showed a little bit of vulnerability i i I didn't see it coming at all um i i think once they reached the big 12 tournament and and steamrolled there you you just sensed that there was a different um different aura this team had something different in play that was that was they were freer looser uh more confident uh dialed in hungrier all those things and, and i think a big reason for that was they, they they just had to fight so hard to get to the finish line um and and secure a, a share of the big 12 regular season title that once they got that they were able to relax again and uh and, and then just go play, and and then they, their confidence soared. Uh, their production was off the charts. They started playing incredible basketball. They started playing so well together, and you know. And, and then at the, that was the point where you were kind of like, okay, well, the, the, you know, they're obviously going to be a one seed now. They finished this thing as well as you could, and who knows, man? I mean, um, you look at the bracket when it came out. You, you thought they had a road. You thought they had a path. It looked pretty good. So I would say that was the point where you you, you started to entertain the idea that that this this could be in the in the cards um, because as as much as the idea of, of March Madness is about finding a way to get hot, win six games in a row, um, it it, re- it really is about four because you've got to get to the final four. You got to win four games to do that, and if you do that, you get some time off. You know, you play on Saturday or Sunday, and then you don't play again till the next Saturday. So you get some time off. You get a chance to rest. Um, you get a, a, an extended opportunity to scout and game plan and prepare. And and then at that point, anybody can win when they get here. I mean, you know, obviously there's favorites and 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 teams that have a, a little bit of a longer shot than the others, but but. If you can get to this point, um, anybody can win that thing. Then you know any of the four, any year. So um, I, I, I think that I think that that was the team's sort of focus the whole time. Was it was just you know, uh, it's it's Bill Self does it every year, the two game tournament thing, and and they took to it really well, and and uh, and they stayed hungry, and 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 they kept that chip on their shoulder, um, but but at the same time the. The chip that they had was was mixed with this, you know, very likable quality. I mean, this was this wasn't a nasty team. They weren't they weren't you know uh, carrying this chip that made you think they were they were you know angry all the time. Maybe other than Christian Brown, I guess when he's out there, he looks pretty angry. <laughs> Did you feel <laughs> like any words were directed at you over the week? <laughs> he. 
he uh, I don't remember which bucket it was, but it was one of those first ones that he had in the second half to get that that run started. And and I was sitting right basically in line with the basket across from their bench on the first row. Had an amazing seat. And uh, I don't know I don't know if he got fouled or what happened. I think it was a foul, but but he he came storming across the court, and I mean. I, I looked away like he was he was his eyes and glare and rage uh they, they were infiltrating my soul if I kept looking so I had to look away because he was he was that fired up and at that point um yeah it was still early and and, and you know they were still in a hole but but at that point it really seemed to me like they weren't going to be stopped and and you know Carolina could have played uh, the same game they played in in the first half and, and maybe still won, so it helped Kansas that, that they started playing a little worse and KU had a lot to do with that, but it just looked to me in that moment that they weren't going to be denied. I mean, it, it, and there was so much time left, and they had all the momentum. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're just, they're just uh, you know, like I said, they, they played with the chip all, all year long, and, and they and they used that to fuel them and motivate them, but, but they still were were super easy to like and and watch and be around and and all of those things so um just just i mean you know they got it done now and and they're they're legends forever and and they'll never be forgotten and and so all of that stuff's automatic but um but but it it will be a team that's really easy to remember because uh they had a lot of personality and and um and and, and they just they were such a team. That's the best way I can put it. I mean, that that's the thing. You know, they they were they were a group of players who fought hard for each other and cared about each other, and and um, that shows you what the, what that can do. I mean, this 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 run would not have been possible if they weren't um, as locked in together as as they were, and and uh, I, I think that's a reminder of of in an era where you know it's it's across all sports professional and college in, in an era where it seems like you know you're trying to do the collection of talent thing and just find the most talent and and max out your stars and and all of that um these guys are a very very good reminder that team can still prevail and and uh that's not to say these guys don't have talent they have a ton of talent but their biggest strength was the fact that they fought for each other, fought for their coach, fought for their program and, uh, and the fans and, and, uh, you know, it's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, it is. And I think, uh, one of the things that's interesting about this team, looking back, like we do this a lot of times with any sport team who wins a title, right? Like with, with the Royals 2015, it's, Oh, now you got to load up on bullpen or 2018 Villanova. It's like, Oh, it's it's clearly you have to load up on you know good three point shooters or uh, you know whatever 2008 Kansas it's like you have to have two uh, primary ball handlers in the backcourt and we we kind of get stuck right. in this if a team wins a title that's the pattern you have to repeat it sometimes or or that's one of the patterns and it's either one of those ways or it's not going to happen but I'm I'm having trouble like coming up with what that would be for this Kansas team I I don't know that there's one specific team I, I, one specific thing I think it's just they just were a good team that came together and they played well together. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard too. I mean, you know, these these guys, um, they they were they were very very driven by what happened in 2020 and getting that opportunity taken away from them, and they were very driven by being embarrassed last year by USC, um, and they were very driven by the fact that that. I think somewhat quietly, people around the country and, and some of their critics and whatnot were starting to say, well, 
Kansas isn't really all that anymore. They don't have any. They don't have any top tier talent. They don't have the five star guys. They don't have any, you know, uh, one and dones or top ten players or anything like that. So I think that fueled them. And, and you know, heart uh, is everywhere. I realize that these guys. If you're playing major college basketball, you you've got a ton of heart because you don't get there without that. But but this group, I say heart for them because. It meant something to them. It mattered. It wasn't just about I want to go win or I I need to go win or I, I've got to showcase this or that or this or that. It it mattered. It, it mattered to Ochai what people thought about David McCormick and Remy Martin and Jalen Wilson, and it mattered to to uh, Remy Martin what people thought about Kansas for taking him and Bill Self for taking him, and it mattered. To to you know the younger guys that that they they were going to do what they could to make sure these veterans got a chance um, to go out on a high note. So you know it, it mattered. That's the thing, and and you don't always get that without without veterans and guys who have put in their time and been around a program. So um, yeah, like I said, I mean in an era where where everybody's trying to, it seems like we're everybody's trying to get to college and get the heck out of there as fast as you can. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see if that's the theme that prevails from this, because self talked about that this week while we were here. He, you know, he said, he thinks maybe one of the things that the teams and coaches and programs are going to do moving forward, especially with the transfer portal is, is try to find a way to get old and stay old and, and how that experience, I mean, even a guy like Jamin, Jalen Coleman lands, who was, you know, essentially their eighth man, I guess. Um, Never really counted on him. Never really uh, felt like that was the, a, a primary option. But always knew that if something happened, you could stick him out there because he'd played a lot of ball, and and you could trust that he'd he'd at least keep his head out there. Um, you know, something like that. I mean, it's not easy to take guys that are that are transfers from the portal and, and put them together in in that short of time and make a real run. But if you can take a couple of those guys, which is what Kansas did and blend them with a core, um, which is what Kansas had, then, then there's your blueprint. And I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's all that different than what it used to be. You know, maybe, maybe that's kind of what's happening here. There's a little bit of a return, um, to, to yesteryear because that's what, you know, even if you think about the, the Kansas teams in the, in the, 90s and early 2000s where you had those veteran teams with senior leadership but then oh they're bringing in a paul pierce this hot shot freshman you know so so it's sort of the same thing the only difference is this year's paul pierce was like remy martin uh, you know who had already played four years of college basketball but it's still a talented dude coming to a new place and having a, just a little bit of time to figure it out and put it together so uh, I don't know that we'll revert all the way back to that, but I do think that, there, that, that this Kansas team and, and really other teams, I mean, um, you look at that Villanova team, you look at that Miami team, you look at that Providence team, um, that, that's just in KU's region. But, but you know, those teams showed the value of, of experience and veterans and, and, you know, having a core. And, and so maybe that's the movement. It'd be, it'd be pretty weird, but with the, with the uh, name, image, and likeness stuff and kids being able to make some money while they're in school, uh, you know, 
maybe maybe that's the way it goes, and, and maybe that makes the sport better, and maybe that makes both sports better because I'm, I'm not so sure all these young young guys jump into the NBA before they're ready is, is really that good for their business either. So um, anyway, that's a long answer to that. But, but I, I do think if you're looking for a theme, that, that could be it. Well, we have to uh, take a break here in just a few minutes because we're going out to Jayhawk Radio Network coverage. So um, I don't have a ton of time today, unfortunately. But um, last thing I got for you, who, who'd you vote for for Final Four MOP last night? And uh, is that something that you have to submit by like the under four? How does that all work? Yeah, it's right in there. It's pretty late. Um, and and uh, I can't remember the exact time, but... Um, but but yeah, it, it's pretty late like that, and and you do you you know you get a feel for you, you certainly can't turn it in at the buzzer you know right you 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 get a feel for how the game the most the most of the game is gone. But I, I voted for Dave, um, and and I voted for Dave because of what he did on Saturday as much as anything that he did last night. Um, I when I voted, I did not know he was going to hit the two shots that ended up being the difference. Right. Um, what I did know is that. Kansas looked like they had no chance when he was not on the floor, and they looked like they were going to be okay when he was on the floor. And when you combine that with uh, his monster game against Villanova, where he just looked terrific, um, you know that's that's only two games. But he also made the All Region team in the Midwest region, and and had some moments there as well. Um, and and it's weighted for me, uh, you know. I, I don't care if he played like trash against Texas Southern. I don't remember how he did. Um, I think if you show up and have two of the best games of your career in the Final Four and National Championship game, that carries more weight than anything you did in the first or second round. So uh, I thought it was fascinating. I, I mean, throughout the game, I was trying to figure out who the heck it was going to be, provided Kansas won. Um, it seemed pretty obvious who it was going to be if, if Carolina had won. But, you know, I thought Remy was in the mix. I certainly thought Ochai could be in the mix. thought Dave was in the mix. Going into the game, I thought uh, because of the matchup with Manic, if Jalen Wilson shut him down defensively and, and had a 20-point night himself, driving to the rim and, and doing what he can do. I thought Jalen Wilson was in the running too, you know? So I, uh, I think what that shows you is that that's a, that's a perfect um, indicator of what this team was about. If you can't figure out who their best player was, then that means they were all pretty good and all pretty important. And, and, uh, and, and it comes back to that whole concept of just, they were a team, man. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I thought it would have been cool if Dave won it, but, it's hard not to love it for Ochai too, you know. I mean, the, what a, what a perfect way to cap what was obviously an amazing and magical year for for just a, a terrific, terrific kid. So, um, you know, it, I, I know those guys don't care at all today. I know, I know they they have the one the one thing they all wanted, and that's that big trophy, and and it's probably pulling into to Memorial Stadium here any minute, and uh, people are going to get fired up, and, and this will be the rest of their lives. I mean, you got, you've seen it. You know, they're still going crazy about 08 here 14 years later. And uh, so these guys will be well into their 30s, pushing 40, and, and still be, um, you know, heroes around Kansas and, and beloved. And, and uh, that, that's just what's so cool about these runs, man. It can change your whole life overnight. Well, here's Matt Tate. You can check out all the awesome championship coverage, KUSports.com and the LJ World. I want to get one of those front page covers for my basement downstairs. Good work as always, man. We appreciate you coming on. All right, man. Thank you very much. It was a, a heck of a time and, and uh, a, a lot of work, but a lot of fun. This is why we do what we do, right? So um, Absolutely. 
happy to have done it and, and happy to have done it in New Orleans. What a cool place. I am going to start petitioning for the Final Four to be here every year. No one will care what I say, but it'll make me feel good because this place is awesome. And Kansas is now 1-2 and two in championship games in New Orleans. Um, so they don't have to have the stigma of it being a, a bad place. If they had lost last night in 0 and 3, it'd be it would have had a it would have had a thing, right? It would have been a there would have been a stink on it. So um, they're alive and well in NOLA, and uh, obviously they're uh, national champs for the next bunch of days and bunch of years. So uh, thanks, Derek. Appreciate you having me on, man. Absolutely, that's Matt Tate. We got to take a time out here. We're going over to Jayhawk Radio Network coverage right about now with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, D Johnson at gpmnow.com. That's D Johnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Five o'clock hour here. Hope you enjoyed that little uh, intro from the Jayhawk Radio Network. I don't, uh, we're already at the five o'clock hour, and I don't feel like I said anything through the four, four o'clock hour. <laughs> no, we did not. Um, if you did miss that audio, we have it isolated from just Bill Self and the players. We'll play that at some point later this week. I Tomorrow's going to be a really short show. We're out at uh, 3.50. KU Baseball is going to take over pregame 3.50 and first pitch at 4 o'clock. But at some point, in case you missed it, we'll uh, play that for you. We also have RCST Trivia, um, which is going to be starting up next Monday. So uh, if you're new to this, RCST Trivia is a 64-person bracket. We test you on KU Basketball Trivia. You advance one by one. Every round you make it further, you get more prizes. This will be year three of it. Again, some great prizes that we have upcoming. Registration, we're going to start it tomorrow on the show, and then we're going to do more of it tomorrow night through the weekend on Twitter, and then we'll release our uh, uh bracket reveal either over the weekend or maybe we'll get to it on Friday if we fill up um, by then and then we'll start up the competition next Monday um, a couple other things RCST NCAA tournament coverage has been brought to you by Cycle Zone Power Sports Big City Selection and Small Town Service on Bikes Off-Road Vehicles and Watercraft located off Highway 24 in Topeka make that fun and exciting purchase you know you've been wanting for the spring and summer ahead with Cycle Zone Power Sports your RCST NCAA tournament coverage has also been presented by Panky Foundation Repair what's the key to a strong team a strong foundation it's the same for a house get your home's foundation inspected today for free plus receive 10% off if you call and mention you heard it on Rock Chalk Sports Talk that's Panky Foundation Repair at 785 505 Thank you to both Cycle Zone Power Sports and Pinky Foundation Repair for sponsoring along our NCAA tournament coverage along the way here. Quick little news thing before we get back into the uh, KU National Championship talk. Bob Bowlesby is retiring today uh, from the Big 12. I don't really have anything resounding to say one way or another on Bob Bowlesby, but I will say this, uh, conspiracy he theory. Hood, he got hoodwinked. Well, Oklahoma and Texas. Yes, he did. Hood wink. All right, wait. Conspiracy theory time. Put your tinfoil hat on. Mark Emmert, which, by the way, Mark Emmert last night. Kansas City Jayhawks. Yeah, Kansas City Jayhawks. Dumb, dumb. He got caught up in the moment. I can't, I mean. What? Did he, or do you think he, he said he it wanted, on purpose because he's mad at KU? He did, he did. He corrected himself immediately, so I think he. Yeah, but he wanted to take away from the moment. Anyway, did Mark Emmert. Tell Bob Bullsby, like, maybe, you know, I'm sure they're close. They have conversations when you're a conference commissioner and the president of the NCAA. Maybe he already knew that, you know, 
Bob Bowlesby a few years away from retirement. He said, hey, Bob, I'm going to need you to retire right now. And Bob goes, what? Why? I was going to wait a couple years, you know? And he goes, well, we can make your, uh, your retirement package a little bit better if you retire the day directly after a team in your conference wins the title to take away some of the headlines. No, I don't think that's You don't believe it? At all. No, okay. it's, that's not anywhere near <laughs> major headlines. I read that of, of some... It's just TV, like, oh, okay. That's I saw it off of some TV station in Tulsa. It's nowhere near <laughs> dominating the headlines. So if he did, that was about as dumb a decision as mm. trusting Texas and Oklahoma. Well, it's it's like uh, it's like remember I can't remember. Oh, I think it was Ben Verlander, who's like the younger brother of Justin Verlander. He he tweeted it was like the Friday or Saturday before the Super Bowl. He goes, "The MLB." Oh, should, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, the MLB should end the lockout on Super Bowl Sunday, and it'll take away all the headlines. And and that re- was the I idea replied, of Mark Hemmer. He was like, "It's going to take away all the yeah. headlines," and everybody's like, "No, no, it won't." I reply. I I quote tweeted that uh, he Ben Verlander doesn't care what I have to say, so, but. <laughs> For whatever it's worth, I quote tweeted it, and I said, then the MLB will find out exactly <laughs> how low they are on the sports priority yeah. list in this yeah. country because nobody will mention it till Wednesday. Yep, yep. That's kind of the case with this Like, one. it would no be, offense. like, if that happened, it would be Sunday and Monday, all Super Bowl talk. Tuesday, uh, will this, you know, will this team become a dynasty talk? Wednesday NFL draft talk late Wednesday by the way the MLB yeah. and the players union came to a deal four days ago all right we're gonna have Kevin Flaherty on the show in about 10 minutes from right now I did want to talk a little bit about what this title means to Bill Self uh first things first why don't we just hear from the man himself here is Bill Self talking about what the title means to him you know I, I do feel that as many good teams as we've had over time that uh we could have had more than one. So uh, uh, even though, uh, like I said earlier, I, don't, I, I never felt pressure from anybody that we had to do this. But I, 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 I knew with what we've had that we could have very easily done more. So I, I, I actually think it's, it means a lot to me. And, 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 and this year, you know, I, I don't know how these guys feel about me, but... Uh, I've never felt more connected to a group than I have this year. And, and when you go through stuff and when individuals go through stuff, you know, everybody deals with crap. Uh, uh, but I never said a word to these guys about anything I was going through. But they, they rose their own level to a level that propped me up. And so this, this is what makes coaching the best uh, because, uh, you know, players can learn from coaches, but certainly uh, coaches can learn from players. You can really tell the closeness of of Sal with this team and how much fun he did have coaching them. Um, and you know the title for him specifically, it means so much. I mean, he is he's hands down now the best coach KU basketball history. He, he might have already been that before, but now yeah. it's not even I, a conversation. I, and, and he'll never he'll never say that. Um, and he'll never. Um, I remember him being an interview interviewed. And it was it wasn't it was after the tournament. And I think the occasion was the day Wiggins was announced announced that he was coming to Kansas. So that was a huge deal because he was such a highly rated recruit, and so he was doing a ton of media. And at one time or another, I hear somebody say, but uh, as they introduced him, said something about you know he'll he'll a man who will soon have um, 
a statue outside of Allen Fieldhouse, and he said that's never. He he was very adamant. He said that's never going to happen. Um, so he he will never. He's also humble though. In yeah, that I, regard. I agree. I think and there and will he be. may. I agree too. I I hundred especially now. I hundred percent percent think there. I mean, will how be. can you not? Um, but I I think he's he's very humble, and he made it a point. If you heard post game in the locker room, he's very clear that that you guys are just a piece of of this you're, of this of this history uh, you're a huge piece one of the biggest pieces but you're just a piece of this and um and and to not forget that and i, I think he mean he makes sure he isn't forgetting that but i do think you know you have to have so much confidence in yourself as a coach and i do i hope for his sake that when he's driving home you know when he's Whatever. When in the moments where he gets to himself, he does kind of get like think back to, you know, I came to a school that you know people embraced him, but they wanted Roy back. Like nobody, you know, booed. It wasn't like Aaron Rodgers who was getting flipped off by eight year olds at training <laughs> camp after Brett Favre left. People at this school embraced Bill Self, in part because he'd done a great job at Illinois, and he he had a a really kick-ass uh, opening press conference. He did a great job at his po- opening press conference. Uh, but people embraced him, but there was no doubt they, they wanted Roy back. And I think they wanted Roy back until Kansas got through Roy in 08. And I, I hope that now he looks back on losing to Bucknell, losing to Bradley, and everyone going, is, you know, this, uh, you know, Start thumbing, sure about start this? thumbing yeah. through the pages. Call Calipari because you know what's going on here, um, and he uh, and I hope now he he does give him a give himself. Even he'll never do it publicly, but I hope he does give him a chance to give himself a chance to look back and go. It was I was right all along. I hope I really hope he thinks that. Yeah, and I think I think this uh, title also, you know, just in the vacuum, it it has to mean so much to him with, um. I think in a couple ways. Uh, one with, you know, his dad passing away earlier in the season, and uh, you know he had he had a lot of comments after the game about how much his dad would have enjoyed this team and how much they grinded it out and how much they worked for it. And I think also that, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the NCAA stuff? You you really don't. Um, KU might come out scotch free. KU might come out with a one or two year postseason man. You don't know. But guess and what? Tell, what did you shout last night about four times between Mass Street and I don't I don't want to I, I I don't want to say the establishment we were at because I don't want to potentially step on the toes of any establishments that advertise with us. But there are so many great places in Lawrence. We were at one of them. But between Mass Street and the place where we were hanging out last night, what did you say about? I mean, I if can't the, say if, one of the words. But, no, but if the NCAA yeah. announces what, you're fine with it. Yeah. I said the NCAA gives you a one or two two year postseason man. Who gives a crap? <laughs> Who gives a crap? Because you said that. Actually, the first time I heard you say that, and I that's can't not remember, me I can't saying remember that, like I actually don't no, give a yeah. crap because like I don't want but that to happen. But you, it's like I, I can't remember if it was after Miami. Realistically, or after. if you win a title, it's so hard to win another title the next year. Like I said, I've, I've shown that stat many times. I said it this year. Uh, Florida in 07, so it's been 15 years since the defending national champ has even well, yeah. made it past the Sweet 16. So if you give them a one-year postseason ban, okay, chances are you're not going to repeat. Yeah. You're going to lose like four or five starters. You know what I mean? And 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 look, I think I will say this. You've got a, a fantastic coach mm-hmm. that gives you every re- – I mean – Yeah, of you, course. You've you never still want to You've it. never yeah. been below a four seed. Uh, but no, I and I – but I'm just – I'm – 
I'm, I'm, I bring that up because I do think a lot of KU fans feel, and I know to, to one point you're kind of saying that, you know, with the level of exaggeration to kind of emphasize mm-hmm. the point. But the point I think you're trying to emphasize is correct, which is this alleviates a ton of pressure because I think a lot of KU fans are at least expecting right. a year or two. If you're sitting on a one-year, one title, and then you have a two-year postseason ban, then, you know, it's to feel more pressured. Like, how many years are you going to have left with self to get that number two? But now, don't have to worry about it. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, joins us next. Five twenty here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM one hundred one seven and thirteen twenty KLWN with Adam Bravetta. I am Derek Johnson. Normally joined on Tuesdays at about four forty with Kevin Flaherty of twenty four seven Sports, but obviously today didn't have that option with the Jayhawk Radio Network uh, overtaking our coverage from four to five o'clock there. And um, Amy just always has to butt in. <laughs> like, come on, we always we give you credit for starting the show, man. Quit butting in. Uh, well, Connor T or Christian, I'm sorry, had a uh, bad word that he used, but it's okay. We, we hit the dump button. So we were good over here. There you go. Uh, anyway, Kevin Flaherty joins the show. Now I, I know this is a very generic question, um, for a game where so much happened, but what stood out to you most in KU's comeback win over North Carolina last night? You know, it, it's so funny because I think for so long this year, we've, we've talked about the offense and, and all of those different things and, you know, Kansas not being as good defensively. And I think when you look back on this run as a whole, you're really going to see that maybe the the single biggest reason for them going on and winning it, it wasn't necessarily Remy Martin. And that's not a knock on Remy Martin, who obviously was a tremendous addition. It was the fact that they started playing defense like a Bill Self Kansas team, and especially in – in spurts, I felt like they played, you know, really, really high-level defense. When you look at holding Providence to, you know, the school's lowest scoring half in, in NCAA tournament history with 17, the very next game you hold Miami to 15 and a half. And then, you know, the second half against North Carolina, you know, that that comeback was, was based, the foundation of it was – was on the defense, getting stops, getting into transition, getting some looks that that maybe weren't there as much when North Carolina was playing a set def- a set defense itself. And I think in the second half, and, and this is off the top of my head, Derek, but I think they held uh, North Carolina to it was like zero point eight four points per possession in the second half, which is roughly the equivalent of the nation's best defense in any given year. And, and, you know, in some cases better, in some cases maybe slightly worse. And so to do that against a team with the offensive capability that that North Carolina has, uh, I really felt like the defense was what jumped out as, okay, this is is the reason that, that Kansas is cutting down the nets. Yeah, it was a remarkable comeback. And, uh, you know, one of the things that was was fun in all this, we did our daily poll earlier today. You know, this is just kind of a, a fan superstition thing of, of changing things up. Me and Adam changed our location. I know for you this isn't really the case, but I, I did see you you put up a story last night of 
Uh, KU being up 15, or I'm sorry, KU being down 15 at the half and, and your wife fell asleep. Uh, what was the conclusion to that story? Did you go wake her up? What happened there? Well, actually, it's it's hilarious. And, you know, I, do, I don't want, you know, the, uh, the angry mob at my door, so to speak. But, uh, <laughs> but went ahead and uh, she she went to sleep at halftime. There was, you know, there was no way KU was coming back in her mind. Um, and I woke her up with about four seconds left to go with <laughs> Kansas leading oh, by no. three and having the ball. And I said, you're going to want to get up. Kansas is about to win the national championship. And she said, really? And I said, sure. And she walks into the room and Dewan Harris promptly steps out of bounds. <laughs> uh, and so at that point, you know, it, it was funny because the early responses were saying, you know, wake her up and, and some people were saying, you know, let let her see, you know, history, whatever. I, I think the poll wound up being more, you know, do not wake her up, do not change, you know, whatever's going on. I did wind up doing it, and that was the exact moment that, <laughs> that Harris stepped out of bounds. Now, to my wife's credit, I will say she was also there, you know, for the final possession when, when Brady Manick winds up slipping. They wind up getting – not really the shot that they wanted and Kansas won the national title, but it was kind of funny that she walked back in the room and, and seriously, her first piece of action was, you know, to see a situation where you're feeling awfully good about KU's chances to Carolina's going to have a chance to tie this thing and send it into overtime. Oh, that is, that is fantastic. Um, so what do you think as, you know, we're always accumulating data points. Every team who wins a title, it, it just adds a new data point and trying to figure out the unfigure outable, if that were a word, in, in the NCAA tournament every year. Uh, what do you view the, the best trait of this Kansas team was over the course of this season that led them to winning a title? And, and does it add any new data points or anything when uh, we get around to March next year and you're looking at, you know, what do you need to win a title? I don't know that there were any real outlier points where you say, okay, like this is, this is added to the data that we already have, you know, statistically speaking, Kansas fell, you know, kind of in the range of acceptable offense, acceptable defense, you know, it was where it was supposed to be. We wrote the article about um, how having two lead guards was a really important part. And by the end of the year, the most efficient lineup that KU had played all year long was Dewan Harris next to Remy Martin. And that's not saying that, you know, they used that lineup a, a ton or, or whatever else. I, I think that it was, you know, something that they used at times in the tournament, maybe not as much. So maybe that was a little bit of an outlier. And then the other thing that, you know, I wrote an article about was how, so many teams, you know, there's this giant streak of you need a, a first round NBA draft pick to to win the title, and obviously you would think that that was going to hold up with with Ochai Abaji in this upcoming NBA draft. And so there wasn't anything new necessarily to add to it. I do think, you know, another one of the things that really stood out about the game, and this is something that wasn't quantifiable necessarily, but both Kansas and North Carolina were incredibly mentally tough. And when you looked at Kansas having the comeback from 15 points down, there have been a lot of Kansas teams that have found themselves in, in somewhat similar situations, maybe not 15, maybe slightly more than 15, 
where where they didn't quite have it in them to to pull that off, and yet they erased the deficit so quickly. And you felt like, okay, Kansas is, is maybe going to run away with this thing. They get up, what, 56-50, I think it is, after the Dewan Harris steal and the Jalen Wilson and one. And, and then the very, you know, North Carolina fights back and ties it at 57 and it's nip and tuck the rest of the way through. And so I do think, you know, it's the sort of thing where you still – some people would say that it's it's a notch in the cap of hey you know one and done don't really get the job done as much or, or whatever else but I've never liked that narrative anyway I mean Duke and Kentucky have won I think the most NCAA tournament games since 2010 and so there's not really anything that's a really long answer to say no I don't think there are necessarily any new data points really that it represents. But I think at the same time, in a lot of ways, it's confirmation for the data points that we already have. What about, and and this is kind of oversimplifying things, but if you look at the programs with a heap of national titles, they usually have about, I don't know, two Final Four appearances for every one title, give or take. Uh, UConn being a major exception to that. Um, And then if you've got a bunch of Final Four titles, you've probably got two Elite Eight appearances for every one Final Four appearance. And so, what? And I bring I bring this up because self during the streak, um, you know, KU would come up come up short in, in several uh, tournaments, except for the the three Final Fours he had over the course of the big streak. And some people would bring up: is he to put is he putting too much emphasis on winning the conference, and is that somehow uh, messing with what he's able to do in March? But is there something to be said about part of the recipe, regardless of what kind of players you have? A huge part of the recipe is just putting together a good enough season to get yourself like the more high, the more consistent high seeds you're going to have, the better chances you're going to have to rack up more Final Fours and titles. Sure, the the more bites you have at the apple. I, I mean, that's the the bigger thing. And you know, it, it's interesting you bring up UConn. I think UConn is is it five title games they've reached and they've won four. I, I think um, I think they've made five Final Fours and won four. I think they got clipped okay, in the semifinals yeah. in '09, but in the other ones, it, it, the other ones, they they made the Final Fours and, and ultimately won the title. And, and that's been the that's been the fascinating thing I think with regard to Kansas in particular is, you know, I I always wind up having the discussion. It's not a discussion I particularly love having, but. You know, people trying to figure out where Kansas fits in um, in this whole you know hierarchy of blue bloods and things like that, and and the one thing that that people really not Kansas for is, is a lack of titles, and I think that's you know obviously titles are the most important thing, but I also think it's a little bit short sighted given that. Kansas had reached nine title games. And when you look at at some of those results, you know, I remember I think it was Pat Forty wrote an article a few years ago where he listed Indiana as a program um, ahead of Kansas because Indiana, I think, has five titles and Kansas had three NCAA titles at the time. But what he didn't look at or, you know, didn't pause to consider was the fact that Kansas and Indiana played, I think, a one-point game, and was it the 53 national title game? And yeah, so yeah, that was the year, the year after Lavelle yeah, 
Yeah, BH Board. BH, and, BH and Board so put up you, some huge numbers, and KU came up a, a point short. And same thing happened yeah, four years the, ago with Wilt. Yeah, and so you you look at well in the Indiana one. The reason I picked that specifically was you take that title away from Indiana and give it to Kansas, and they have the same exact number of titles. And Kansas is ahead of Indiana in literally every single other category, and and so you're you know if you pick Indiana over Kansas in that discussion, you're literally saying the thing that puts Indiana ahead is a single basket in 1953, and I think that you know that's that's one of the things that's a little unfair when you look at Kansas and you look at that title game history, and I know. You know, some anti-Kansas people might look at the Memphis game and say, well, you shouldn't have won that. The Memphis game, Kansas was up, I think, with about nine minutes left to go. And then Memphis went on a a little run, and and then Kansas went on a run itself. And and so it wasn't wasn't like it was a game that Memphis held control throughout. It was pretty nip and tuck, and, and Kansas wound up winning. And Kansas has wound up on the wrong side of sort of those close one possession national championship games more often when you look at 53, 57, the Syracuse game, et cetera. And so when you add all of that together, I think you're absolutely right. The more chances you have, that's, that's the big thing because, you know, there are some times when that basket's going to go your way, like last night or like against Memphis. And there are some times when, when it's not, and I think the one unfortunate thing when you look at Kansas's history compared to some of the other Blue Bloods is Kansas more often that one possession or, or that one game has gone against them in the national title game. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty here of 24-7 Sports, and you guys just released your way-too-early top 23 for 2023. Uh, you also have 20 other teams to watch, so there's there's a lot of teams and good content in there. Um, you have Kansas in at number seven, and obviously I would imagine right now this is one of the hardest things you have to do because who knows what is going to happen with NBA draft decisions, with guys going in and just testing. Do they come back with the transfer portal, with any uncommitted recruits? So I, I'm sure it's very much going to be a moving puzzle over the uh, – next three or four months. But again, Kansas in at number seven. So uh, what goes into them being ranked number seven and where would they rank as far as, like if you were just thinking back to recent title teams having a shot to try to repeat or go back to the final four, where would they kind of rank among uh, some of those other teams in recent memory? Sure, yeah. I think that when you when you look at at where they're at, they're in sort of that striking range that, that you want to be in, that where the title winner has typically come from since we've been doing this. And I think Derek, this is probably like our sixth or seventh year doing it. So uh, being in sort of that top, you know, six, eight, uh, I don't want to say 10 necessarily, but being in that top eight range has, has been pretty good. And it's actually, it's funny because we obviously, like you said, there are so many moving pieces and so many things that can change. But I think it was three or four years ago we had, you know, whatever it was that year, our top 20 for 20 or, you know, and we got something like 13 of the Sweet 16 (laughs) in that year's. And and the reason we did, I feel like, is the NCAA in so many different ways is about talent. And, 
you know, being having the talent where players can go out, and, and I'm not necessarily saying just recruiting rankings, but like having players who can go out and, and make a deciding play, you know, outside of the framework of, of a game. And, and I think that when you look at these way too early rankings, that's one of the things that they give you is a really honest first look at sort of, okay, these are the teams with talent. Because I think that once you start getting into, you know, August, once you start putting out your your preseason rankings, we have a tendency to look at all these other sort of more external factors and, and things like that. You know, Gonzaga, a lot of times is going to be ranked really high, not just because Gonzaga is good, but because we all know Gonzaga is going to win 30 games every year. And so, you know, you you look at all of those different things. But I feel like in your first look, when you're just looking at it and looking at who's likely going to come back or who you believe is going to come back, you may not have a full handle on, okay, this is what this team is going to be. But at the same time, you have a pretty good idea of, okay, if, if Jalen Wilson returns, which is one of the things that we have, Jalen Wilson's going to be a guy that's going to be really tough to stop in March. He's going to be one of the best players in the Big 12. And when you look at, you know, for next year's March Madness with, with Kansas being in there, you know, Jalen Wilson's the type of guy that, that could help Kansas with the right surrounding pieces, you know, make potentially another deep March run. And so I, I do think that it, it's been it, it's almost impossible to pick teams exactly but I do think there's a value in it because we do look at sort of, hey, these are these are the guys coming back. These are the guys who could make a leap, and, and you do get a little bit of an idea of these teams could be really dangerous next year. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Jalen Wilson possibly coming back for KU, and I'd imagine you know it's it's something where well you'd like to leave coming off a title, but I'd also imagine that. You're not really seeing him popping up on mock drafts. They're going to probably tell him you need to shoot it better and, and maybe tests or whatnot. I, I don't know what the rules is with everything with that. But um, in the case of Christian Brown, you have him going to the pros, which, you know, that, I'm not sure that's a surprise, especially after you win a title and everything. Um, but let's say hypothetically he goes through the draft process and they tell him, you know, we think that if you go back to school and, and you know, do something similar that Ochagbaji did where you go back to school and you're just a flamethrower from the outside in addition to everything you've shown us here, we think you could move up to be a lottery pick next year as opposed to being a fringe first rounder, early second rounder this year. And he says, you know what? I'll bet on myself. I'm going to do that. I'm going to come back to school. Again, that's not what I'm expecting to happen, but just hypothetically, if it did, where do you think that would push KU for you in the rankings? Yeah, that would push Kansas up into that top three or so range. And it was interesting because we automatically pulled players who were projected to be first-round picks in the mock draft. Like, they they just weren't in there. And generally speaking, you know, two or three of those guys may come back. But Brown was an interesting circumstance in that he was just outside of the first round in just about every mock draft that we looked at. And when you look at uh, when you looked at, at him and Wilson in particular, I think our general feeling was even though he was outside of the first round, we felt like Kansas was probably somewhat likely to return one of the two, but not both of them. And, and if Kansas does return both of them, and I, I like the the Abaji comparison in terms of being a guy who you know has that stock sort of you know 
early second round or so, because I think that's probably about where Ochai Abaji was picking boxes a year ago. And if Brown does come back and shoots at a high level, really ups the number of shots he takes from the outside and shows it over a larger sample size, he is somebody that could rise significantly in the draft process. And so if you have those two together, and then, you know, obviously you're replacing Ochai Abaji, you're replacing him probably with the McDonald's All-American. If that's, you know, MJ Rice, if that's going even bigger and going with Grady Dick, you know, you have options there. And I think one of the guys that, that we tried to mention really briefly in the write-up that we're really fascinated by is Bobby Pettiford because he was somebody that, you know, Bill Self and the staff just spoke so glowingly about. And yet because of injuries, you know, didn't really have a, a full freshman year. Well, all of a sudden, you know, Remy Martin's not there. And, and so you have a case where maybe the best lineup for Kansas next year is to to go smaller with somebody else next to Dewan Harris. And maybe that's, Maybe that's Joseph Yesifu, and maybe that winds up being Bobby Pettiford, and and that's kind of his first foray into that lineup. And so I do think that the Kansas has some really interesting pieces, and, and then the big man, you know, decision that they have to make whether you're going to go with Zach Clements, and I think that that his experience this year is going to help him a lot in that process. And then you have Ernest Uday who is a lot more like what Bill Self has had in the past in terms of being sort of a rim runner, a lob catcher, somebody that can protect the rim and block shots at the other end. And so I do think that they're going to have some choices to make at that center spot that could make it really interesting as well. Is there something – so Self has had a few one-and-dones, but he's also had his share between Ochai and Thomas Robinson and um, the Morai – there have been several players that have kind of had these times where they'll have a year before and they're maybe fringe first-rounders, and they'll just go nuts, and all of a sudden they're they're in the lottery or bordering on the lottery, you know, in the case of T-Rob, up as high as top 10. Obviously, there's, you know, you don't just say, okay, I'm coming back, and then that guarantees you're going to raise your draft stock the next year, and, and credit needs to go to the players for the work they put in and, and CJ Moore did a great profile on the work that Ochai put in, in in the summer. But along with the work that the players themselves put in, is there something about what self does that, it, you know, that, that um, benefit or, or, or kind of helps along a player that, you know, year sophomore year might be fringe or junior year might be fringe first round. And then they play their way into a definitive first round by their junior or senior years. You know, I, I think it's I think it's a process, and it's interesting you brought up CJ's piece because CJ and I talked about that afterwards because Ochai worked with Damian Lillard's guy, and a couple of years ago I wrote a story about uh, basically how Damian Lillard went wound up at Weber State, you know, uh, of all places, and, and how he developed sort of year by year, and one of the things that that Lillard's workout guy is really big on is you don't want to overload people in any given off season. And so you pick sort of one skiller or one emphasis and you work on that, that off season to really, you know, sort of nail that down. And I think that that's instructive because I think a big part of the reason that players make the biggest jumps of their career between freshman and sophomore year, one, it's physical, you know, you're, you still have a young body. You're in your first, full off season in a college weights program 
And so you see people make a, a physical leap. But I think that sort of the one skill or the one thing you hone in on is usually a weakness, right? Like you go in and you say, okay, I can't do this right now at this level. You know, I need to be able to. And so I think that that's why you see the growth between freshman and sophomore years. And I think that part of the reason that we see these guys take this jump in the time period you're talking about is the next process then is sort of, you know, tightening things up. It's not necessarily anymore, hey, you can't do this. You know, Ochai Abaji could handle the ball. You know, it wasn't that he couldn't last offseason, but it was more like, okay, we want to make the dribble a weapon for you. You know, we want you to be able to drive the ball and feel comfortable about driving the ball. And I think that that's where you see the leap in NBA draft stock is at that point when there's sort of those fringy draft prospects, not that they don't have any weaknesses, but they've worked on the things that are their biggest weaknesses. And the next step, the thing that sort of propels them to start him is them sort of tightening things up, polishing things up. And that's what takes them from somebody that the NBA knows about or has noticed into somebody that the NBA really covets. Well, Kevin, before we let you go, I did want to ask one more question about that uh, way too early top 23 of Arkansas, Kentucky, UCLA, Houston, Gonzaga, top five. Uh, which of those are you most bullish on? Which of those do you think might have the, the uh, I don't know, highest, I guess, bust rate? I, I don't know if that's the right term for it, of, of just relative to the rankings that you could see them finishing below that. And, and who's the team maybe that is uh, ranked a little bit lower that you could see rising up either over the course of the season or maybe through off-season moves? You know, Kentucky is one where I feel like so much of that ranking is dependent on Oscar Shibway coming back. And when you look at the other pieces and the guys that are coming in, yes, Kentucky does have a couple more five-star guys coming in. Yes, Kentucky's going to be a player on the transfer portal. But there's a difference between returning the defending national player of the year and not. And so I feel like if Shibway does decide to to stay in the draft and does decide, hey, I'm not coming back, Kentucky's a team that, that could drop off quite a bit. Arkansas has a has such a super high ceiling, and yet it's it's a young team. It's a team that, that fits all the physical and athletic dimensions of what, Eric Musselman is going to want, but at the same time, I think there's going to be some growing pains there. Gonzaga is going to be very different, even with Drew Timmy, you know, possibly coming back for his 85th year. You know, I still think that, you know, this is, it's going to be a little bit different constructed team than maybe what we've seen. So that's a really long way to say that the team I'm probably most bullish about is Houston, not necessarily as, the team where I'm like, man, this is the number one team. But the team out of those five, if you're asking me, okay, which one is legitimately going to be in the top five for sure, I would probably say Houston because Houston knows exactly what it what it is. The season that Houston had this year should not have been possible. I mean, they, they went into the year with what a lot of us felt like was maybe the nation's best backcourt and arguably their two best backcourt players suffered season-ending injuries, and they still wound up being that good. And so all of a sudden now you're getting those players back. They had a really good recruiting class, which you know isn't always the, the case for, 
for Kelvin Sampson. They landed a top 10 player in the country and another top 40 guy. And they're guys that, that seem to fit Houston's culture well, too. And so those guys are, are in there as well. Sort of a, a team that I think is one of the most fascinating teams to, to swing on either, either positively or, or maybe, you know, maybe has a, a chance to jump up, but isn't there yet is Illinois because I feel like that team has so many moving pieces because Illinois could wind up landing Sky Clark, you know, who was a five-star point guard committed to Kentucky who reopened Illinois. I feel like has a chance at Terrence Shannon, you know, from Texas tech. And uh, I really like RJ Melendez. I think when you saw all the sophomores this year in the big 10 who went from being, you know, solid guys as, as freshmen to, you know, all league and all America candidates. I think Melendez could be that next guy in there. I like Coleman Hawkins and, and there's still a chance that Kofi Coburn returns. And, and even if he doesn't, if they land Shannon, if they land Sky Clark and some of the other guys that they're looking at, I think Illinois is a team that I believe we have them somewhere around the bottom part of the, of the top 20 or so, that's a team that, that could jump up and, and surprise people, I think. He is Kevin Flaherty. Kevin, we appreciate you taking some time today. We went a little longer than normal, but just so much to talk about. So thank you so much for being gracious with your time and uh, look forward to talking to you next week. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll see some roster shuffling by then. I'm sure we will. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right. That's Kevin Flaherty. Check out his work, including those way too early top 23 rankings for 2023 at 24-7 Sports. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it.